Wednesday, 3rd of October, fire in my heart. Oh, that you would bear with me a little folly, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, chapter 1. And indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Got a note here, what's that? And purity. Simplicity and purity that is in Christ. He is, you know, it says in the Song of Songs, doesn't it? Love is as strong as death. And I do believe, as I was listening to that just then, that um, Ruth Purcell thing, that if we're going to make, um, what would David say, big enough cods of it? <laughs> I don't know what cods is, but if I make a big enough cod, I do hope I don't find it something extremely rude afterwards. Um, it'll take us home. He's so jealous for us, but he knows he can keep us if we will let him. But you know it says in James, doesn't it, that we're led astray. Didn't intend to go here. We're led astray by what we want. And we're led we're led astray by it. This girlie this morning I said, you know, she said he's promised me. I said, then wait. But we're after getting it, aren't we? James 1 13 Let no one say when he's tempted I'm tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he himself tempt anyone but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed when desire is conceived it gives birth to sin and when sin when it's full grown brings forth death do not be deceived my beloved brethren everything good everything perfect is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning sometimes we just have to learn to wait Uh, just wait Um, someone came the other day didn't they Uh, Friday wasn't it they turned up suddenly Martin and Janice and some friends from uh, Trella Warren down in Cornwall hadn't met them before and he looked straight at me across the table and said you've got to learn to wait and I thought I think I have oh and I am <laughs> the Scots wasn't they mm. uh, but I've been holding that word before the Lord and I, I suspect it wasn't for me it was for him because <laughs> you know prophetic people what you've got to be careful of is prophesying what God's saying to you <laughs> Ever so easy to do, because it comes to you so strongly and you think it's for the other guy. Um, but God has got good things in store for us. Really has got good things. So, okay. what you see in me, you remember a couple of weeks ago when Joanne was here? Was it Joanna or Joanne that came? Joanne and Han. From Cryford. Yeah. 
Because the other one's tall, isn't she? Joanne Daly is tall. Yeah, it's the one that had, has got the um, allergies. allergies. Yeah. And the one who's her and her husband are waiting for release from the Lord to go into ministry, aren't they? Mm. They're the pair, aren't they? Well, she hasn't said that to me. Oh, um, right, OK. Well, that was the understanding I had. That, that, right. that, uh, but I talked about a forerunner spirit. Do you remember at all about, yeah. you know, like a John the Baptist thing? Mm. Um, and, and I felt that what God was... Well, he woke me in the night the other night. Um, I, have you ever done it? I just woke up and there was an audible word hanging there and I, I heard it so clearly. The forerunner speaks to the heart. And that is, that's what you get with me, is that I speak to the heart. I don't speak to the surface issues. There's no surface stuff. It goes straight in. And that's why it so often feels painful, because it hits straight in. So what you're seeing in operation is a forerunner, a forerunner spirit. John the Baptist was a forerunner. And what did he cry all the time? Repent. Change your mind. Change your mind. Turn around. Had some people here yesterday, and uh, the lady said she'd been to so many conferences, and she said, you know, sort of repented till I couldn't spell the word. And so I thought, I'd just be interested to find out what her definition of repentance is. And uh, I said, um, this isn't a trick question. I really want to know, because it's something I'm going to be raising on Saturday, because so often people don't know the meaning of the word they use. And I count myself in that. Um, so I said, what do you understand repentance to mean? So she said, well, telling God all the bad things I've done. Ah, oh, no, no, sweetheart, that's confession. Repentance is metanoia, it's a change of mind. It's a complete change of mind and heart towards God. So when you repent about something, you actually change the direction in which you were going. You don't say, tripped up again, Lord, sorry about that. That's confession. That's always okay. That's 1 John 1, 9. Though we don't set out to do it deliberately, hopefully, we've got 1 John 1, 9 to cleanse us from, from whatever it is we've done. But to confess is to agree with God that we've stepped out of line. Iniquity, transgressions and sins, three things. I mean, I won't go into them this morning, but they're three separate things. Sin is, mis is missing the mark. This is like an old archery term in Hebrew. You know, if you fire your arrow, you miss the mark. That is what sin is. Transgression is stepping over a law that you know. That you're doing something deliberately when you know you shouldn't. That is a transgression. And iniquity is wickedness. So, But he forgives iniquity, transgression and sin it says doesn't it where Moses wanted to see his glory said the Lord, the Lord if I can find it he said I beseech thee as Graham would say he got Moses in a place where he asked for what God wanted to give him says I beseech thee show me your glory right well, where it is somewhere in Exodus this is an interesting bit about the stable, table of showbread there Joyce if we can find out someone said that the showbread didn't get stale in a week but uh, I don't know about that what would be the word we could look up for that Let's have a look. Thirty-four what? 
Exodus, it starts Exodus 33. Hear Graham on this. He says uh, God gets Moses to the place where he asks for what God wants to give him. Uh, so uh, Moses says to him in uh, Exodus 33:12, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me, yet you've said, I know you by name, and you have found grace in my sight. Here we come. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That for me was an inheritance word years ago and I didn't realise it. Then he said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't bring us up from here. For how will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, holy, your people and I from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Then the Lord says to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Now he gets a bit bolder. And he said, Please, show me your glory. And then he said, capital H, I will put, make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It's almost like he's saying, you may say, don't be gracious or compassionate to them, but I will be. <laughs> and then in Exodus 34, the Lord passes before him, 34, uh, 6 and 7. And he says, the Lord now says, The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving... Here we go. Iniquity, transgression and sin. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of, of, of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So here he says those three things. Iniquity, transgression and sin. And it seems to me, you know, you, you go in seasons in ministry and I'm in a season where, where people are coming and have, in, having to repent about things. They're having to change their mind. They're having to confess first and then repent. Um, some of you know Sarah's been up and down with her health and she wasn't well last week after the prayer and she got worse. Well, we found out what that was all about. She came yesterday. Uh, and um, what had happened was, as far as I can see, um, it could be one of two things. She's either opened the door in some way to what she got rid of and the whole jolly lot's come back again, and so she's sick. Um, or it was incomplete confession and repentance in the first place, in which case, uh, you know, she needs to do that in order that she will come back um, into full health. Because what happened was, as soon as we started to pray for her, she got worse on Monday night. Um, and so. Uh, We'd been talking the week before. I don't know. I don't know how. Run off of where I was going. Uh, how we got talking about it, but um, well, we're talking about what's coming up on Saturday, actually, because it's quite a significant uh, thing that's coming up on Saturday. 
um, sex, sexuality and morality. I have to keep not saying <coughs> immorality. <laughs> it falls off my tongue more easily than morality does. Um, and, and, and the reasons why God gives these things, you know. Um, and suddenly Sarah and uh, Deborah were here and they both started asking questions and they, <laughs> they were really quite funny when they went out. And Sarah going out like this, going, I think I need to do a bit of thinking about this. And Deborah saying, I think I need to come and see you. you know. <laughs> uh, so it's just God. It's just, it, it, the, the subheading of, or the real heading of next Saturday, or this Saturday, is the bride has made herself ready. And this is what is going on, is this the making ready of the bride. So God is not cross. He's just saying, sweetheart, you need to clean your act up because I want to give you this bridal ground. And um, I'll never forget something Derek Prince taught on. He said, I do not want, he said, to go in my bridal gown and find that my buttocks are exposed <laughs> because there's part of me that wasn't put right before I got there. And I, th I could just see this, you know, the bride walking, walking up the aisle and this big old cut in the, in the back end. <laughs> back end. <laughs> and he said, you know, because it's the righteousness of the, the righteous works of the saints that covers her. You know, she's covered in, the, in these righteous works. So it's not a call to uh, getting your nose to the grindstone. It's a, it's a call to seeing his jealous love over you and his total forgiveness of us. I mean, it's just incredible. Um, you know, we were we were really talking about this, and I said it's the woman that was caught in adultery. She who loves much is the one that is forgiven much, and I always knew how much I was forgiven, so I love him commensurately. It's it's commensurate with how much it's it's almost commensurate with how much you've allowed the Lord to show you what a sinner you were, in order that you may come into the gratitude and love for Him. Because while you still think you're all right, really, and that, you know, uh, it doesn't cleanse you to the place where you're absolutely adoring him. You know. Um, but there we are. So, iniquity, transgression, and sin. Don't know how we got there. Uh, where we got there. Right, thank you. Oh, it was presenting as a chaste virgin, wasn't it? Unto Christ. Mick was here yesterday with Trish because she's having her leg seen to the knee seen to today and uh, he went to get the dictionary I said what are you looking for he said I'm looking for repentance that's the right place to look and I said no darling where do I look then I said well a vines expository dictionary would be a good place to look and of course he read out what the dictionary said about repentance and it exactly describes remorse really sorry for having got caught on something you know which French means rethink. Rethink, that's it. That's very good, yes. Repense. Think again. Means rethink. So, repentance is actually metanoia in the Greek. You can ask me to spell it now. Something like M E T A N O E E. E-O-E. 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 She's got it. <laughs> it means to change your mind anyway, Joyce. I'll get it in a minute. We'll put a bookmark in there. 
beside you, you'll laugh at this. I saw this this morning, Joyce, for me lambs. Repent. M E G. Yes. A M A N O E O. O E O. Metanoia. I saw this this morning for the lambs. Those on the thing, dare to discipline it is. <laughs> dare to discipline the lambs, keep them in order. <laughs> They're all trembling in their fur now. That's it. Eyes are gone, full of attention. Is it me, Lord? Oh dear. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Right, okay. Right, just a quick uh, catch up with where we were last week then. We were looking at uh, the fruit of, of the spirit of humility. And uh, we really realised that we have to come out of agreement with things before we can be set free. Um, because while you're in agreement with something you're never going to get set free from it and it is subtle because we don't realise we're in agreement with it that's why we need teaching so that we know and we were looking at what kind of yield was coming off of our lives and that the the branches that lean most heavily uh, always bow the lowest because they're laden with fruit and that gentleness, meekness and humility, all really the same word, uh, a reflection of the same thing, are the absolute opposite of pride. Pride precedes destruction. Pride will destroy you. We saw that pride was something that prevents promotion. And pride is something that once a person has been promoted can bring them down as quickly as they went up. Because if it isn't dealt with down they come and the, the example we looked at was Saul um, when he was small in his own eyes he was promoted and he was Israel's first king and he came down as quickly as he went up and what was his problem? he couldn't obey what the prophet had told him to do so he lost the position immediately um, and we looked at uh, Samuel Samuel we looked at 1 Samuel fifteen twelve, where he set up a monument to himself. And uh, it's one Samuel fifteen ten. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, "I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments." And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went up to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument to himself, and he's gone around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. I should think that was just about enough for Samuel when he found out what Saul had done. Not only had he not obeyed what God had asked him to do, um, which is the fruit of pride, of course, D disobedience and, and going against what uh, God is saying to do uh, is rebellion, and rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, it says in verse 23 of 1 Samuel 15. That's serious stuff, because Samuel says to Saul, has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft or divination, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. I mean, this is how God sees it. We, some people quite proudly say, well, I'm stubborn, I'm a stubborn person. That is not a virtue. <laughs> need to keep quiet about it if you're stubborn and ask the Lord to deal with you because it is not a virtue because he sees it as iniquity and idolatry and iniquity I think the um, definition of that is wickedness because you have rejected the word of the Lord he's also rejected you from being king that's it, he's cut off though he reigned for about another I don't know, 20 years uh, and had that fight, that ongoing fight with uh, David, who was the anointed and appointed one. Uh, and David, you see, was in training all the time that Saul was chasing him. God's got a call on your life. The first thing that will happen is you'll have a Saul or a Laban to sit under. And, and God will make sure your little lumps and chips are knocked off there through working and under these people because they will, they will give you no quarter. Poor old, uh, who was it now with La with Rebecca? Was it Jacob? He had to work, didn't he? He worked seven years and got La Leah for his trouble under Laban, and then he worked another seven to get Rebecca. Um, because uh, he, he, Laban pulled the wool over his eyes, one chiseler working with another chiseler, as it were. Uh, so rebellion and stubbornness are not good ideas and, uh, and they're pride essentially really so we saw that uh, we saw that impatience was a manifestation of pride judgment's a manifestation of pride uh, if you say you know oh, if I were you I wouldn't spend money like that I wouldn't do that um, it, it's the I my opinion coming in there judging other people about how they are what they do that's all pride and it will poison your life. Um, impatience with someone that's slower than you are, not moving as fast as you want them to, it's pride. Someone who doesn't get it the first time you tell them, it's pride. The only way out of this thing is to humble yourself continually and as I said last week, to ask the Lord to show you absolutely everywhere um, where you've got pride in your life. It's such an insidious thing. And of course it's the thing that shot Satan out of heaven. He didn't rise up in pride right away, he just took one step at a time. Just one step at a time. And the other thing that, that God uh, spoke to us about last week was Isaiah 55.2. Don't spend your money on things that aren't bread. Don't waste your money, we were, he was saying, on things, uh, and I was citing someone that had rung up and going off at a tangent with teaching don't spend your money uh, on tapes and books and stuff like that that isn't bread make sure what you're getting is bread because God wants you fed on the best um, so that, there we are so we've just looked at manifestations of rebellion well we're going to look at them now not very nice Saul, one of the problems with Saul was you know he was afraid of losing people he wanted people's approval and because he wanted the approval of people he disobeyed God and when we're afraid of what people think that's pride it's 
quite surprising, isn't it? And the reason is, of course, we don't want them to think badly of us. That's what it is. So it's pride. Because I don't want them thinking of me that I'm not, you know, God's gift to uh, the church or something like that. We want them to think well of us to the point that we allow them to control us in order to have their acceptance and applause. So we say things that are not true, we flatter, uh, and all these things, because we actually want them to like us. Hard. So you might say, isn't the fear of man rooted in insecurity? Yes, um, but the insecurity causes us to be so desperate to feel important that we'll do anything to get it. That's a twist, isn't it? We have to feel important because we don't know whose we are, so we do it ourselves. It's a do-it-yourself job again. You know, Whenever you go into a do-it-yourself job, you're, you're actually down the tubes and on the road to uh, ruin, really. And God will let you go a longer or a shorter distance. In it. And sometimes I've said to him, why didn't you stop me before? You know, you knew I was going sliding on this <laughs> slither across here. Uh, but he has to let that thing, like I used to say about my dog, you know, one of these leads that you could run and run and run and run and run. Suddenly it caught him and he'd do a somersault because he'd be hairing along. And I'd think, any minute now, five, four, three, two, one, and he'd just go through the air because he thought he wasn't held on to. And God's like that a bit sometimes. He delays um, disciplining us until he's, he can really do the lesson to make us stop because maybe if he stopped us earlier on we wouldn't hear do you know what I mean so in a, the wise parent that he is he lets us run have our rope and then suddenly whoops ah, but it's good so what are the um, sort of hallmarks or manifestations of the opposite of uh, humility rebellion is the first one because it can't stand authority Saul couldn't stand that he could not stand being told by Samuel that he needed to do these things so he twisted it and said well I saved the best to sacrifice to the Lord that wasn't what he was told to do he was told to get rid of everything and it, it cost him didn't it it just cost him um, constant opinion Pride will often manifest itself in always having an opinion about something. Um, it's unteachable and resents authority. Because it resents authority, it's unteachable. And as we saw with Saul, he won't do as he was asked. Um, I was listening to Joyce Mayer on this subject and somebody had said something to her and she said, you haven't got a handicap, honey, you've got a problem. <laughs> woman obviously said, I've got a handicap. No, you haven't got a handicap. Honey, you've got a problem. Oh, she's marvellous. Uh, so, t in teaching on humility, we're actually looking at the opposite so that we can recognise if there are any areas in our lives that manifest these things. And if there are, we go hot and cold and think, ah, I don't want it. It's so ugly. It is so ugly. Um, thinking, thinking, inferior or superior, one or the other, you know. Um, don't compare yourself with other people, you know, well, I'm more spiritual than she is, I'm 
further on in the Christian walk. Or, oh no, I'll never be like that. Either way, you're into pride. Because the opposite of pride is self-derogation. So if you're at, you've still got your eye on yourself. It's, it's upside down. Um, I'm thinner than you. I could never ex- never express that to anyone, I don't suppose. You're really overweight. Uh, you know, don't, don't even think these things. Uh, you're not very intelligent. It's very hard for me to have a decent conversation with you. You're far below my level. I've got the promotion. I must be better at this job than you are. Well, here we come. I prophesied, so God must be using me more than he is you, so therefore I must be superior. You see, these things are so subtle. So comparing yourself with others will only make you either feel inferior or superior, and neither of them are pleasing to God. So you say, how do we we walk this thing then? Um, Where did I look this morning? Has anybody got the Amplified Bible? It was Philippians 1, 21 to 2, 4. So could you read it out for us? One twenty one to two verse four. For me to live is Christ, his life in me, and to die is gain, the gain of the glory of eternity. If however it is to be the life the life in the flesh and I am to live on here, that means fruitful service for me. So I can say nothing as to my personal preference, I cannot choose. But I am hard-pressed between the two. My yearning desire is to depart, to be free of this world, to set forth and to be with Christ, for that is far, far better. But to remain in my body is more needful and essential for your sake. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and stay by you all to promote your progress and joy in believing, so that in me you may have abundant cause for exaltation and glorifying in Christ Jesus through my my coming to you again. Only be sure as citizens, so to conduct yourself that your manner of life will be worthy of the good news, the gospel of Christ, so that whether I do come and see you or am absent, I may hear this of you, that you are standing firm in united spirit and purpose, striving side by side and contending with a single mind for the faith of the glad tidings, the gospel. And do not for a moment be frightened or intimidated in anything by your opponents and adversaries. Such constancy and fearlessness will be a clear sign, proof and seal to them of their impending destruction. But a sure token and evidence of your deliverance and salvation and that from God. For you have been granted the privilege for Christ's sake not only to believe in, adhere to and rely on, trust in him, but also to suffer in his behalf. So you are engaged in the same conflict which you saw me wage and which you now hear to be mine still. So by whatever appeal to you there is in our mutual dwelling in Christ, by whatever strengthening and consoling and encouraging our relationship in him affords. By whatever persuasive incentive there is in love, by whatever 
participation in the Holy Spirit we share, and by whatever depths of affection and compassion, compassionate sympathy. Brilliant. Thank you. Now, get this out of my way. So, be careful about boastful comparisons. Be careful about comparing yourself with others, whether it's up or down. Uh, humble people. So you say to yourself, "Well, how, how can I know if I'm if I'm walking in humility?" Well, the fact is that humble people don't actually talk about themselves. That's how you can know. You don't actually hear them talking about themselves at all. We're not supposed to think badly of ourselves, but we're not to, to just put ourselves in that place of centre center stage at all. It doesn't mean that you never do anything for yourself. It means you keep a modest view and keep yourself excessively off, my, off your mind. There's a book by uh, Steve Sampson, isn't there? I was always on my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, there we are. Taking up your cross means to forget, ignore, disown and lose sight of yourself and all your own self-interest. It's that serpent thing again, isn't it, that we were looking at. We'll get him out. Nobody likes him very much. (coughs) Here he is, the old boy himself. When we're self-centred, we're eaten up with ourselves. What about me? What about me? What about me? We seek to possess, acquire and control. And it's it's subtle. We need, we need to have it exposed, otherwise we won't realise. And if our will is out of alignment with the Lord, which it always is, until we actually settle it and submit it completely, as it says in the disciples' prayer, Thy will be done, we'd say it, but it doesn't actually happen. So we trip into independence, rebellion, pride, despair, arrogance, resentment, self-will. Up and down we go because we're not in the I always do of Jesus. You know, God doesn't expect of us perfection. He doesn't expect that. What he's delighted with is when we want to do it his way. That is what delights him. It's not the ability to do it. What makes him say, turn your eyes from me because they've overwhelmed me, is our willingness, even though we can't. So all he ever wants is our willingness. He doesn't expect us to do it because we can't. But the opposite of willingness is this horrible thing. Won't. And all the while with the Israelites, he was telling them they were stiff-necked people, wasn't he? said it before, children won't stiffen the neck, turn their head away from you, stiff neck. I've had people who've actually had stiff necks and when we've prayed into it we've found out it's because they're actually stiffening their neck against what God is saying. Heart trouble, is it physical or is it heart trouble? (laughs) Talking to someone recently and I said, well actually when they had that heart trouble I thought, I know it's physical but is it a manifestation of the spiritual heart of the person Um, it's not a criticism again don't take anything of what I say as a criticism because of the forerunner spirit it goes straight to the heart 
it sees what the problem is and it says this is what your problem is and this is what you need to do to correct it so there's no faffing around the edges as we say there's no oh let's counsel you for six months and and get seven years of inner healing and um gently go with you it says it's your problem ducks it's the, oh i've done it again <laughs> something's 